Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. To discuss all matters Supreme Court, it's a great pleasure to welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Adam White, the resident resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Adam focuses on American constitutionalism, the Supreme Court, the administrative state, and is also assistant professor of law and director of the C. Boyd and Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State at the Antonin Scalia Law School, one of the great law schools in America at George Mason University. Mr. White, how are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. You got to take some deep breaths in, the, in that yeah. long, oh, yeah. that long business card. Thank I, you. I do it short. I declare Adam the smartest person on the Supreme Court in America. Well, that's <laughs> and that's what you are. Brief and and lovely. So, hey, why don't we start with why is interest in and partisanship over the Supreme Court at such a fever pitch these days in a way that it really wasn't in in decades past? Well, it's because of what the court's done in the decades since then. And Justice Scalia put this really powerfully in one of his dissents in, the, in one of the abortion cases. He said that, you know, to the extent justices are worried that the confirmation process is getting out of control, um, they need to take a look at themselves and understand that the, the bigger of a footprint that the Supreme Court puts on American politics by deciding issues that are better left to the political process, the more that the political process will pull the court into itself. And that's what we have now, especially when people are, 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 are when people think that, that Roe v. Wade might someday be at stake. So did the, did the court change? Did the public attitudes change? Or did the Senate change in that we used to confirm these people 98 to nothing, 100 to nothing, 97 to 2, that sort of thing. And now it's, you know, a fight to the death. It's a knife fight in an alley. I'd say the court changed first, then the people, and then the Senate caught up. I'd say okay. that the court changed first in expanding all sorts of rights that aren't written in the Constitution, like in Roe v. Wade and other cases. I'd say that the left started to put much more emphasis on the court as a political tool. 
I, we, then we saw, you know, Ted Kennedy and others declare war on Robert Bork in 1987. That was the real turning point. I think Republicans took a little while to catch up. They never really declared war on. I mean, they never have declared war on on Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan the way that Democrats have to Bork, Thomas, uh, Kavanaugh. They even went after David Souter before they realized he was going to be a liberal justice. I'd say that then finally Republican senators decided we need to take this stuff really, really seriously, too. Well, and I suppose we could mention that the Congress is in the habit of passing grand and glorious legislation that's also very, very vague and then lets the court interpret, uh, you know, their grand and glorious implementation. Yeah, there's no shortage of that, too. I spend, you know, plenty of time teaching administrative law and warning about that problem. So yesterday, Joe Biden was asked if he's president, is he in favor of packing the court? He wouldn't answer that question because he said it'd be a distraction. What is packing the court? How, what would it look like? And, you know, what's the likelihood of it? Sure. OK, packing the court is adding justices. We have nine justices. The court's been that size for about 150 years. That's not written in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say anything about it. Originally, the court was six members. It's been as large as 10. But since about the Civil War, we've been at nine that could be changed any time by ordinary legislation. Congress could create Supreme Court seats the way that it, you know, it could print money. Uh, we don't do that for a good reason, because the stability of the court's an important thing. And once you make that move, once a Congress and a, a fit of partisan peak adds seats to the court, we all know what happens. The next time the tables are turned, the other side will add seats. And pretty soon we have a court of 15, 17 members. It looks less like a court of law and more like a miniature Senate. We call it court packing because that's what it was called when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to do it or threatened to do it in the 1930s in his own fit of peak over the Supreme Court striking down a couple of New Deal statutes. Back then, uh, the, the, the proposal was so radioactive uh, that everybody in the political process immediately rose up and said, no, this must not be done. It's been, to call it a third rail since then would be an understatement. It's worse than a third rail. And the fact that Democrats about two years ago started talking about it, I think really showed how far beyond the beyond they've gone. And I think that it would be, if they were to push that button uh, after, uh, say, taking over the White House and the Senate, it would utterly destroy the Supreme Court as a credible institution. Well, and how, I think how, that it needs to be avoided. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like we do that. We are, speaking of rails, we're really off the rails at that point. Um, how difficult is it to do? Is it just a majority vote in the House and Senate and the president signs it, or what is it? That's it. That's it. The Supreme Court, the Congress can just pass a law like any other laws and just amend the statute. I don't have the statute in front of me that says how many seats the court has, but you just strike out nine and write in wow. 11. And, and that's it. And, and in fact, they don't, if, if they get rid of the filibuster, then it's just a bare majority of the House and the Senate at a moment in time wow. adds seats. Yeah. How concerned are you that we are entering an era where that sort of thing is is being um, not only contemplated but done and to hell with the union, to hell with the country? Well, I'm profoundly worried about it. I, I think that the greatest constitutional crisis of our time is just one of utter, the utter lack of self-restraint by our political actors and by uh, so much of, of the public that really rallies them to go to a, abusive extents just in support of whatever policy they favor at, at the moment. I think it's profoundly dangerous. You know, you know what b bothers me about it is that Democrats have done a great job 
I think, you know, and the media helps that along. But the Democrats have done a great job of making it seem like you do this crazy thing and we're going to do this crazy thing. Well, the crazy thing the Republicans are talking about doing is 100 percent constitutional. I mean, it's not out of bounds at all. Yeah, it's, it's not. All they're trying to do is fill the seat. Now, here's the, here's the but. OK, here's the but. The but is. As much of in favor of the Garland inaction that I was, I was totally on board with them not voting on Garland. I think the way, the extent to which they really emphasized this new rule about not voting on Supreme Court confirmations during an election year, I really wished at the time they hadn't said that. And I really <laughs> wish now they hadn't said it, because while they are totally in the right to do what they are doing, there is there is this 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 debate surrounding the honesty or dishonesty of Republican senators that I think looks terrible, and I really worry that it's going to undermine not just their own credibility. They're politicians. They can give away their credibility whenever they want. I'm really worried that that the stench of that is going to stick to whatever great judge gets nominated, Mm. and it'll follow them to the court. And I think while politics is brutal, and it always has been, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is that politics surrounding the Supreme Court needs to have an extra measure of self-restraint for the good of the court because we need it for the good of the rule of law. Adam White is with the American Enterprise Institute and George Mason University. Uh, What do you think of the principle of uh, choosing court uh, new justices according to the dying wishes of the previous justices? (laughs) Yeah, you you know what? I'm not going to speak ill of the dead. No, certainly not. No, but we're speaking ill of the living that take dying (laughs) wishes as serious. I'll say. Justice Ginsburg, from time to time, ran into trouble for getting too engaged in the political process, particularly with respect to President Trump. I really regret that she, her her last statement was one calling for a, quote, new president to name the next Supreme Court justice. I just think that's that's really not a, a statesmanlike word, a message from a, a Supreme Court justice, and, and it's not her call. Right. Uh, let's move on to some of the women being discussed for the opening. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, obviously, Barbara Lagoa, and I don't know to what extent the rumor mill is accurate, but any thoughts on uh, those two women in particular? So I, I really don't know anything about Barbara Lagoa. She's she's not been sort of on the radar of the areas of law that I tend to focus on. Um, Amy Coney Barrett obviously was thrust into the spotlight when Diane Feinstein at the last confirmation hearing for when, when Barrett was going on the lower court, you know, Feinstein said that, she had too much dogma. That Barrett had too much dogma. Really, to call it thinly veiled is to give it too much credit. Just a blunt attack on on her on Judge Barrett's Catholic faith. That was horribly offensive. And I think that the extent to which Judge Barrett really rose above that situation and and and, and prevailed is to her great credit. Her scholarship on how to read statutes and how to balance the reading of statutes against the reading of precedents is, I think, among the, the most fundamentally important issues of the next 25 years in the Supreme Court. And so I think Judge Barrett, for a variety of reasons, is probably the ideal candidate for this moment in time. Some of the other names that have floated around, uh, Judge Britt Grant of the, uh, one of the lower federal courts down in Georgia. I've known her since she was in the attorney general's office down there. She's a really great lawyer, extremely smart and sharp. I'm glad to see her name on the list as well. So this is a uh, you'll have to use some judgment on this question because I I don't know the answer to this. The court with Ruth Bader Ginsburg on it. If you're looking at a football field and the 50 yard line is right in the middle between liberal or conservative, where was the court with her on it to which how far to the right or left? 
Oh, that's hard to say. I'm, I'm, I'm from a Big Ten school, and we don't do football anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Very brave. I, uh, I uh, so so this this re- replacing Judge Ginsburg with say Barrett or somebody in a similar vein is going to move them. If we were at the 50 yard line before, we're moving over to about the 45, 40 yard line in the conservative direction. Okay. There's an opportunity to change some precedents that the that liberal justices had laid down in earlier years. But also, this is really important. We could avoid some bad precedents that might've been made with just the changing of a couple of seats in a liberal direction, especially in areas of uh, religious liberty, where Justice Ginsburg really was at the forefront of trying to trim back the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and pull back some of the protections that religious believers have in the face of progressive uh, administrative state regulations. Um, I think that's going to be a crucial area for, for Judge Barrett or any other new appointee to the court to really avoid a dangerous turn. I know it's not in the Constitution that you need to have 60 votes to become uh, a Supreme Court justice. Did you like it better when the threshold was higher than just a majority? Or do you think a majority is fine? I wouldn't say I liked it. I I definitely didn't like it better at the time um, because it was blocking some good judges in the George W. Bush administration. It's hard for me to to put myself back in that mindset. I think the the voting threshold is really less important than the process um, in general. I think think ultimately the Senate gets to decide how the Senate does business in terms of the votes. I think the more that the Senate can do to create a credible process that really does, I mean, bad pun, but does justice to the gravity of this particular issue, the appointment of Supreme Court justices, that's a good thing. You mean like accusations of gang rape and that sort of thing? Well, right. That's the problem is you don't want to belabor the process just for the sake of character assassination. That was disgusting. Uh, and it's, it's something that Republican senators have never, never done. Um, but I, I, I would say that trying, to, trying to, to race a confirmation through before Election Day, like you're the, the, the Dukes of Hazard trying to, to outrun Roscoe P. Coltrane, <laughs> that's just a bad – it just doesn't do justice to the, the gravity of the situation. I've, oh, I've, boy. I, I mean, I've written on this for the bulwark in a piece that I know is pretty out of step with, with my conservative friends. I, I think that they should do justice to the process, even if it means voting after Election Day, even if President Trump loses. I think that the process, especially for this seat, I think the American people deserve to get to know this nominee the right way and not in a hurried or, 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 or other otherwise problematic way. By the way, your writings on Duke and Duke versus Coltrane, incredibly insightful. Adam White with the American <laughs> Enterprise Institute. All right, final question. We got to go there, I guess. It's obligatory. Um, Roe v. Wade, it's just an exhausting discussion to me. What are the chances a conservative court would actually overturn it? In the next 10 years, it's hard to imagine. I'd say in the next 25 years, not hard to imagine. It's a, it, it, it'll take a process of case-by-case, case, narrowing the precedent, and really getting down to the core abortion right, and then making the big decision. But along the way, it's going to require a cultural change and cultural outreach. It's the most, one of the most important issues of our time. There's a great line from a liberal law professor, the problem with Roe v. Wade, it's not that it's bad constitutional law, it's that it doesn't even pretend to be constitutional law. It's had the worst gravitational pull on everything around our court and our politics for more than 40 years. Wow. And I think the moment that it's overturned will be a good moment. Adam White, resident scholar of the American Enterprise Institute and with the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Adam, it is always a pleasure. Thanks a million for the time. You too. Well done.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.